Hola, hola. You're listening to Se Ves Escucha, Seen and Heard, a language justice podcast that brings together our experiences with language and our work for justice. Se Ves Escucha is a project of the Center for Participatory Change. I'm Ada Volkmer. Welcome, everybody, to season three of the podcast. I'm here with Manuel of Somos de Mente, who is editing this season's episodes. We are keeping ourselves and others safe and recording remotely. Thank you, Zencaster. Thank you, Zoom, Guitar Center, and the U.S. Postal Service for making this possible. Uh, it's season three. Here we are. We want to keep bringing you stories of interpretation, of language, of social justice, and this thing that we call language justice. This is a podcast rooted in the U.S. South, so you'll hear stories of people who call the U.S. South their home. And it is an honor for me to be here with our first guest of season three, Jose Angel Romero. Hola, Jose. Welcome, welcome. Buenas. Aquí estoy. Ya llegamos. Y no nos vamos. Um, muchísimas gracias, Jose. Thank you, Jose, for being for being on the podcast. It means a lot to me. Um, when I think of Jose, when I see Jose, it makes me feel so optimistic about the future and the future of language justice. Uh, when I think about Jose, I think about someone who is bringing language justice together with the different pieces of their life. So many of us who do language justice work also do three or four other things. And I love how you bring like different parts of your identity, different parts of yourself, um, and how you kind of braid and twist and, and bring that all together. So I'm, uh, I'm really excited to talk with you and, and to hear more about, about you and, and how you do that, that magic. So where do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, with an introduction like that, um, I uh, feel like I have to uh, mention that when I was younger uh, and I would play soccer and my friends who were on different teams would fight e with each other uh, and I didn't know what to do because all of my friends were on different teams, I would run into the middle of the field and take the soccer ball and be like, no one's playing until we're all friends. Um, and I think that I still do that to this day, even in organizing spaces. Uh, But thank you for having me. Um, my name is Jose Angel Romero, Jr., if you're my uh, family members, or Obdulio, um, if you're not the U.S. government. Um, <laughs> um, but it's a pleasure to be joining y'all. I'm going to maybe start a little by where I am right now. Uh, and I'm calling from the South, the South, uh, and uh, Durham, North Carolina. And it's been such a journey to get here. And I know that I wouldn't have been able to have had the resources or the community to make it to 2020 uh, this ridiculous year if it hadn't been for language justice, right? Uh, if it hadn't been for folks who offered me a job as a language justice worker or people who were already workers like yourself. Ada, who uh, I'm talking about all the time, so I bet your your ears are constantly ringing because of me. Uh, but uh, folks like you, right, who who made it easier for those of us whose language, whose first language wasn't English, to be able to to live in this country and to to survive and have fun. But 
Uh, I love the Bull City, Durham, North Carolina, and everything I do um, really tries to uplift that that southern that southern charm. Even though um, I was born on the West Coast, I'm a Northerner. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how long have you been in Durham? I moved to Durham in 2015, and uh, it was a pretty significant time in my life because. Uh, I moved here originally to pursue academia, uh, like every good like child of immigrants, right? You have to go to school <laughs> and get your like professional degree and all of that. Um, so I, I moved here to pursue a PhD. Uh, but that same week uh, that I found out that I had the opportunity to move to Durham uh, was the same week that uh, I found out that I was HIV positive. And uh, that began a journey that really has led me to this moment where uh, I see language as a tool for healing, uh, not just as a tool, but as a way of healing, right? It's more than just a tool, but uh, to where I've used it to, to find more pause folks, uh, to talk about sex, to, to make organizing more fun, and to learn about myself and other people more. Um, so I'm going to ask you, I mentioned about like the different pieces uh, of, of work that I know about. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit to talk about um, those different pieces. Um, and so if it's okay with you, uh, I wanted to start off with the Denis de Leon Language Justice Institute. Um, if you can tell us a little bit more about the institute, how it's been going, where the idea came from, what's, what's that work that you're doing and that you're a part of? Absolutely. And uh, I'd like to uh, also spend some time, uh, you know, not not only acknowledging, but expressing some gratitudes. Right. Um, or like organizing is, is kind of the work of, of is, is a work of, of gratitudes and grace. Right. And and I wanted to name some folks. So uh, I wouldn't be where I am right now if it wasn't for Deborah Thomas, who when uh, I was getting kicked out of college, uh, asked me, do you, you know how to apply for food stamps? Because I'm going to hook you up. Um, shout out to professors of color. Uh, I also want to name uh, Daniel, do, do, Dr. Daniel Purifoy, Dr. Felicia Arriaga, who we both know. Mm -hmm. uh, two folks here in the triangle who really gave me um, a motivation and encouragement and faith to be able to do the work um, that we're doing now and to, that taught me that abolition is possible and that it's, it's very real every day. Uh, I also want to uh, name uh, my mom, uh, Beatriz Romero Moreno, who is from the hills of Michoacan and uh, from La Sierra. Uh, so shout out to my, from, my gente from El Rancho. And my dad, uh, Jose Romero, uh, who is from uh, Morosan, El Salvador. So shout out to all the cerotes listening uh, around. Um, but uh, the work that I'm doing now really is community-led, and it's about uh, trying to rethink how we understand health. So uh, like I mentioned before, I am HIV positive. And the South uh, is a region in this so-called country, which accounts for over 50% of new HIV diagnoses, even though uh, about 38% of the total population of the so-called U.S. lives in the South. 
So there's some really deep uh, health disparities uh, that we're trying to confront, right? And that incidence of HIV is particularly high for Black, Latinx, queer, and trans folks. And so our institute, knowing this, it understands that we have to find our people and like help give them tools to be able to communicate with each other, right? Step one and any organizing mission is learning who your people are and, and mm-hmm. learning how to talk. So our institute, uh, because I have been working as an interpreter uh, and because I am pause, I uh, had the blessing of meeting folks like yourself and uh, Tilde, uh, which is the Language Justice Collective or Cooperativa, of which I'm a part of, and uh, invited them. Like you were saying, you know, I'm like, I'm friends with y'all. Y'all are interpreters. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Here are some friends who are paws. Like we're talking about sex and y'all are talking about all kinds of stuff. Let's talk together. So uh, the Institute was really about uh, creating a space where folks could uh, talk about sex in a brave way, but also talk about language and and how communication is is so important to be to building sexual health. So we have fourteen participants, and mm-hmm. they're paired with six uh, hosts across the south. And uh, those p- uh, participants have a buddy, and with their buddy, they're going to be uh, coming up with some language justice plans, right? Because we want to, you know, we want to get the goods. We want, we want to actually make moves on this. And uh, they're going to provide those hosts with some um, tips and tricks for how they can build language justice. And the dream is that more and more folks will feel safer uh, having hard conversations around language and sex. And the fellows or the participants are connected with organizations that specifically are health healthcare organizations or healthcare programs? Yeah, they're all, um, you know, how we understand health uh, is very broad, right? And the World Health Organization defines health uh, not just as like the absence of illness, but it's it's also uh, what's actually present, right? Like being like well. And so uh, for us, health uh, anybody who's trying to enhance um, the lives of Latinx folks, of uh, BIPOC folks across the South, you know, you're doing healthcare related work. All language justice workers mm. are like healthcare workers, you know, in many ways, in my in my opinion. And um, so, the hosts um, are uh, we have uh, organizations like Sister Love, right, which has founded uh, and done some really important work around reproductive justice. Uh, but we also have some folks who are engaged in direct services in South Carolina, uh, folks uh, across the South who are really just working with Latinx folks and are curious, right? How do we enhance our communication and how do we talk about this? What's some of the, like, can you tell us, like, um, some interesting parts of the Institute or what's been the most kind of like interesting things you've learned so far through the Institute? What's been uh, particularly great for me uh, has been that we have folks in the room who don't speak Spanish and uh, they are able to see themselves as language justice workers, right? Mm -hmm. Even though Mm -hmm. they're not necessarily speaking um, a language that's stereotypically seen as uh, a language we're going to interpret, right? Like Spanish or like French or Russian, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. whatever language it is. And it's folks who also speak English, but they consider themselves language justice workers because they uh, 
have a their own words, their own sense of style with the community. And they're like, actually, these tools, they apply to me as well. Mm-hmm. And so being able to mm-hmm. see that shift, right, um, has been has been really beautiful. Um, and and so seeing Southern folks, right, as language justice workers, right, with that particular flavor has been has been beautiful. But the on the pettier side, I would say that um, <laughs> it's been great to also have folks um, stop confusing interpretation and translation. <laughs> Nice. Because that happens all the time. <laughs> you know, the pet peeves that interpreters, you know, are, are very graceful uh-huh. about. But, um, uh-huh. <laughs> Going back to what you said about um, folks who might only speak um, one language or maybe folks who only speak English, seeing themselves as language justice workers. How do you think people got there or what helped uh, people get there and see themselves as as also language justice workers yeah so something we did was to ask folks to tell us um, about their own experiences with language right and to just kind of start there when did they start recognizing that they were even speaking and that people were paying attention to what they were saying and how uh, that had a different impact on folks. And what we found was that, like so many BIPOC folks, uh, most experiences that were shared in the Institute had to do with encounters with the state. So folks were talking about uh, their teachers, right? uh, punishing them because they weren't spelling words correctly when they were in mm. their classroom. And then they would get mm. reprimanded. Uh, they might get sent to the principal's office. You know, all of these battles over language that happen in the classroom or at home, right? Where, uh, like, uh, I know that Roberto Tijerina has said that um, uh, bilingual uh, kids are owed, um, like, millions of dollars by the U.S. government because they've been working as interpreters unpaid for so many Their years. Their whole lives. And right. so <laughs> that, that experience comes up. And, um, that, and other things, right? Like whether it's like law enforcement, right? You know, for me, um, my earliest experiences with language, because I was the first person in my family to speak English, were uh, translating and interpreting at the border. Um, mm. And you know, the border is not what it used to be, right? Um, it's, 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 it's constantly changing. But back in the day, like, uh, I, you used to be able to sneak, sneak one over on the border patrol officers much easier. And I remember they would always just be so shocked by the fact that I could speak English. Like this is like, little like Mexican kid would run up to the border patrol agents and I'd like start talking to them in like big words. And they'd be like distracted, like, what? why are you speaking in English? And meanwhile, like my cousin is like walking across the perimeter or something, you know, and, 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 and things like that, that are kind of bananas to think about right now, but, Mm. um, that really got me thinking like, what am I doing with my words? Right. (laughs) Uh, and so many folks in the Institute shared experiences like that. Mm. And starting from that experience, um, you know, that like what, what made us awake to language um, really helped folks start to see that they had a role to play um, and how language mm-hmm. would uh, unfold in their communities, right? And many of them are already doing awesome work. Like we're dealing with folks who have been uh, building shelters for trans folks, uh, mm-hmm. gardening, that have been starting their first like language justice circles in their communities, right? Uh, and it's, it's, just, it's just beautiful. That's awesome. 
I know some of the folks who are in the Institute and I know that they also listen to the podcast. So shout out to the to the Language Justice Institute, uh, yes. Dennis de Leon Fellows, uh, who also listen to the to the podcast. And this is part of your work with Latinos in the South, the Institute is? Yes. Uh-huh. So uh, I work at Latinos in the South as the director of Encuentro. And Latinos in the South is a program of the Latino Commission on AIDS. And Latinos in the South has been around since 2007. It's focused a lot on advocacy and capacity building around uh, sexual health. And uh, after doing uh, several years of work, just kind of serving and talking to community members about what their needs were, and seeing time and time again how often they would talk about the lack of interpreters in healthcare settings, you know, we decided that we wanted to do something about it and that we were going to build a pathway for folks to find interpreters and to also have uh, hard conversations around language. And that makes me want to ask you, I mean, you you already mentioned uh, interpreting from a very young age. I know that you are um, a contractor with Tilde. I know that you do some freelance interpreting work. So how did you how did you kind of transition into that, like, um, you know, simultaneous interpreter with equipment or over Zoom or, you know, how did, how did, what did that look like for you? You know, like I said, it, it was uh, grace, uh, the grace and faith of so many community members. And, and, and when I think about that, I have to give a special shout out to Tony Macias. Um, you know, it's so hard to find um, assigned male at birth people who I trust. Um, so, and he is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had been in grad school for a few years and I hadn't been working uh, professionally as an interpreter. You know, I had taken gigs every once in a while when folks couldn't find interpreters, but there reached a point in my grad school program um, where uh, there was a lot going on in the South around statues and I was pretty heavily involved in uh, doing trainings to defend um, people involved in those cases. And my grad program and I got into an argument around that work. Um, and, you know, there was this one particular moment where um, I'm doing uh, court support, you know, to, def- to help some defendants that have a trial. You know, we're out on the street and my uh, PhD advisor shows up out of nowhere outside the court and is like, why aren't you doing your homework? And meanwhile, I'm like pointing to like the armed racist folks across the street. And I'm like, that's why. This, you're like, this is my homework. <laughs> this is my homework. And mind you, my project was about cartels and butterflies. So I was like, I feel like there's something related here around security and like sure, stuff like that. Claro. <laughs> um, but and and that really just told me, right, that here are people who have PhDs, who've read a lot of words, who have, like, done a lot of work with language, and that are just completely disconnected from the community around them. And so that was, that was a really turning point for me, and I never went back. Um, but that also meant that I needed to find a job. And so um, I started, uh, you know, Tony... Uh, hooked me up with a gig at Tilde. And then through there, um, I had already been involved with Southerners on New Ground and some other networks. Um, I had actually seen you at a few meetings. I was trying to think of mm-hmm. the first time we met, and I, I believe it was at a song space. Um, and I was like, who is this? Like, this person? Like, you just seemed very cool. Your, vo- your voice was awesome. So, uh, and I never said hi until, like, I think we got introduced formally by somebody else. But 
this was one of the first things that we talked about was that you are also a Leo. <laughs> it's true. Um, so. It's true. So <laughs> is James Baldwin. So no, um, just like a just like a Leo thing to say, right? Um, <laughs> um, do you do you see your uh, Leoness in some of this uh, language justice work? <laughs> um, well, I think when I tell people that um, language justice uh, has to do with sex, I feel like they they see um, they see my Leo, they see my Leo come out. Um, I'm like, you're using your mouth, and like your your tongue is moving. Like, there's something here. Like, well, we need to talk about pleasure, pleasure activism. Let's talk about it. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely my Leo, but. Uh, I'm also very loyal, though. I, I'm I'm very committed to the folks who um, I'm in struggle with um, and in movement with. So even if we've gotten into an argument, it can be years later. And if I think, you know, that that you're just like the perfect person for like a job or like a project, I'm going to hit you up. And I hope people will do the same. Right. Um, I think that's just that's just a part of it. But. I just really love collaboration, like you were talking about earlier. I'm like, if I'm friends with you in this space and in this other space, like, why aren't we just organizing together? Right, right. Um, so I, I want to say also that uh, this summer, uh, you gave me the gift of being able to interpret for a workshop that you did at the Allied Media Conference. I guess speaking uh, of sex, right? There was a, a network, <laughs> there was a network gathering called Language Justice and Beyond, which uh, there may be a future episode about, uh, and Jose, you gave a workshop on language justice and abolitionist sex, and uh, I had the honor of um, being your interpreter, one of two interpreters for this workshop, and I got to practice all kinds of new vocabulary uh, words. So thank you very much for <laughs> for for letting this grandma uh, interpret. Yeah, lots of lots of things that I had not interpreted before. So muchas gracias. <laughs> yes, no, that was a blessing. I was like, si te gusta que te lleven hasta el límite. <laughs> hasta el límite y beyond. Yes, I love it. Um, so I guess I wanted to ask you um two two more things before we closed up. I guess. I wanted to ask you, like, I feel like you're a person who really, like, claims being in the in the South. And I wanted to ask you kind of like, what does doing this work in the South mean to you? You know, when I think about language work in the South, I think about how, for me, language was a weapon before it was a home. And uh, trying to unlearn that has been... Uh, so deeply connected to finding roots in the South, right? I, um, for me, there's no understanding of the South other than being, uh, other than my experience of it as a pause person, because I hadn't lived here before. And so I moved here, um, you know, the same uh, year that I, I zero converted, and um, that I started a new life and a new career for myself. And um, so in the South, there's um, so much legacy around language that uh, makes that possible, right? I think of how Nikki Finney, um, this great poet from South Carolina, in her acceptance speech to, I think, the Poetry Award for like 2016 or something, said, uh, was talking about how uh, enslaved folks, uh, if you were caught reading, you would have 
body parts removed from you, right? And just the act of language there, right? And that's that's the that's the ground we're on, right? Everything we do is like in the wake mm-hmm. of that, and then the and in the wake of the erasure of indigenous languages, right, in the south, and and those twin things um, make us accountable and make us responsible to 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 do work that makes people healthier. And it's not for nothing, right? Um, I never encountered uh, images or words around sexual health, um, and uh, I can only imagine like what my teenage or even uh, young adult experience would have been like if that had been the case. Mm-hmm. And more and more folks in the South are suffering, are enduring, uh, you know, depression, mm. suicide, sexual health issues, uh, health issues at large, uh, unemployment, uh, eviction crisis, right? That's the worst than any other region in the South. And so language work is what kind of builds a foundation for all of those things to be to be confronted and, and transformed. So it's very important work in the South, I think. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and what would you say, I guess, um, let me see if I can bring this one together. I just think that there's a, a lesson here about bringing together the different parts of ourselves, uh, bringing together our interpreter and our translator self with our artist self, with our healer self, with our poet self. Um, so do you have any like words of advice there on on that? Yeah, well, um, when I hear that question, it makes me think of a few images. Right. If that's okay, I often think in images. So um, the first image is of uh, in Michoacan. um, One of the things that I was often tasked with was uh, cleaning uh, the machetes. And so um, because I was never good enough to like go do anything else. So like um, (laughs) they would just be like, you're the one that's going to clean the machetes. Like um, and so. Uh, and I remember I was like, how am I supposed to do this? And somebody, my my godfather was like, you have to rub the machete in la tierra, get some dirt on it and then rub water on it. And that's how rust comes off. And I feel like uh, that is often what I'm doing most days when I crawl out of bed <laughs> and just trying to trying to get the trying to shake off some rust, trying to maintain an edge. And like keep it going. Um, the other image is from my friend Marco Castro Bojurquez, somebody else who uh, I've taken a lot of inspiration from. And he told me about how sunflowers, uh, when they can't find the sunlight, right, because they move with the sunlight um, throughout the day, when they can't find the sunlight, they uh, turn to each, to each other. So one sunflower will look at the other sunflower in a garden. And so I think uh, those two things really uh, mm-hmm. like kind of capture organizing for me, right? Uh, how, and the expression of intimacy, how do we uh, take care of ourselves? How do we recover and how do we heal? Uh, those are very important practices for me. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, people know, right? Like people, if you're out in these streets, mm-hmm. it's like people know. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. Pues muchísimas gracias. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for like kicking off this new season. I think it's perfect. I think it's the perfect way to 
to start off. Um, so thank you again for for being here and for um, yeah sharing all these parts of you with us. Gracias. Thank you. And if anybody wants to talk about sex, about language, about being HIV positive, uh, just the abolition of borders, quantum physics, like <laughs> being single, like hit me up. Papi 27 on Instagram. Awesome. Awesome. Gracias, Jose. I'm Ada Volkmer of the Center for Participatory Change. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate, like, follow. If you haven't done so, leave a review. We would love more reviews. Follow Seves Escucha on Facebook and Instagram. On Twitter, we're at SVSE Podcast. You can also email us at svsepodcast at gmail.com. This episode edited by Somos Demente. Music by Combo Chimbita. Yeah.